<laughs> Come in and know us better, man. Because <laughs> we're reading the Christmas Carol. And Merry Christmas to you, Jacob Menzel. Merry Christmas, Nathan. And Happy New Year to you, Brandon Chastine. Happy New Year to you too, Nathan. Welcome to the Bookening. Welcome to the second in our series on one of my favorite Christmas stories, right up there with the Charlie Brown Christmas, I'd say, and uh, how the Grinch stole Christmas. It's the Christmas Carol, of course. Yay! Yay. And I'm joined here today by my two Yuletide companions, uh, Jolly Jolly Jake Menzel. That's me. How you doing, Jake? I'm feeling really jolly. Yep, if there's one word that people constantly use to describe you, it's, it's jolly. jolly. Oh, yeah. I tried to belly laugh just now and give a little ho-ho-ho, but nothing came out. So, <laughs> Well, you're jolly Jake Menzel, but uh, over to my left is belly laughing Brandon Chastine. ho 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 because I can't think of another Christmas word that I can use. It's alliterative. What's a B Christmas word? Yeah, that's about it. Yeah. <laughs> Blue Christmas. Blue Brandon. Christmas, Brandon. Blue Christmas, Brandon. <laughs> Give us your Elvis, man. Christmas without you. <laughs> so here we are. We're we're here for our second episode of Christmas Carol. You guys excited to jump right back into it? Yeehaw. Oh, yeah. All right. We won't waste any another second of the, our fine listeners' time. Here we go. Whee! So let's talk about the uh, the ghosts. Now, I know if there's if there's one thing that people say about the booking, it's that we're huge uh, Hillary Clinton fans. Oh yeah, yeah, right, yeah. And as such, I've heard, I've actually heard people complain about the ghosts. Why do they choose a rich man to reform? Isn't it kind of classism? Isn't it sort of Reaganomics kind of trickle down uh, <laughs> okay. theory that sure. <laughs> that ghosts guys would uh, would only go to to wealthy people to to seek their reclamation? Uh, what about the guy? The, the what about the woman that stole the linen off of Scrooge's corpse? Why doesn't a ghost help? clean up her life why don't why don't the spirits intervene for because the poor? if they intervene for ebenezer scrooge then he gets to intervene for the sheet ladies so it's a trickle down it's a trickle down theory yeah. of of spiritual yeah he's he's an adam smith kind of guy he's got all the money so just to go for the guy with the money yeah yeah i don't think maybe we're gonna lose our standing as a hillary uh, did, oh, no. did people really make this complaint that we are a hell of a curly. No, 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 no. <laughs> yeah, we get that all the time on Twitter. If you just go to look at our mentions on Twitter, right. it's everywhere. Yeah. Why do you guys uh, love Hillary? It's because I wear this Hillary Clinton t-shirt all right. yeah. <laughs> everywhere yeah. I go. <laughs> People, it's like, we love the book discussions, but if you can keep your liberal politics out of it is probably the number one thing they say about the book. Yeah. <laughs> 
It's because I lean in the microphone every five minutes and go, I love Hillary Clinton. <laughs> That's really annoying editing that out. No, I have heard people make that complaint. I've heard them make that complaint about it's a wonderful life, too. Although in that case, it, the classism doesn't quite hold up because then the ghost should have reformed Mr. Potter. Right. But it's kind of the same idea of there's but all these drunken, terrible people. In this, in this, in Dickens' world, how do we know that the ghosts don't go and try to reform these other people? We're just getting the story of Ebenezer Scrooge because he's the most amazing and transformative one that you could possibly hope to see. Maybe the ghosts are always transforming people's lives and changing them. And in the Carol verse, that's what... I guess Christmas Present says he's had lots of siblings and stuff that came before. Over 1900! (laughs) (laughs) Or whatever. Or 1800 or whatever. whatever It It would have been 1800, right? So you figure every one of those relatives, I guess, has reformed some... Old man. Some old man. Maybe many. Yeah. I guess the argument doesn't really work for It's a Wonderful Life. Clarence should have gone and helped out Mr. Potter. Mr. Potter's going to rot in hell, I guess. (laughs) It would have made such a great story and had such a good moral to it if... Dickens had written the story had written the story about the three ghosts going to the sheet lady. Oh yeah, and uh, <laughs> I mean, come on, you wouldn't want to read that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what kind of idiots she, uh, make the these end, kind uh, of arguments? But, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. People instead of, instead of offended uh, about everything. Is that all academics are, Brandon? People who are professionals at being offended. Yeah. The dumbest things possible. Say that again? <laughs> what? I missed that. What? <laughs> Was I implied somehow there? <laughs> implicated, you mean? Implicated, implicated yeah. Implicated. Was I implied? <laughs> implicated. You were implied all over the place. I was implied. Whoa. I'm always implying you. <laughs> so you don't think that Dickens is showing his trademark snobby classism? I think Dickens he, knows uh, <laughs> what makes for a good story, and a good story is a big redemption. Right. Yeah. Pete's sake. <laughs> I mean, what was she going to do after she was reformed? Go out and, like, kill a sewer rat and give it to all the urchins? <laughs> she wasn't going to get a turkey. Yeah, she's turkey. Oh, <laughs> uh, well, okay. So Merry we... Christmas, Mrs. Scrooge. <laughs> See, <Humbug. laughs> well, That was effective. <laughs> that impacted a lot of people. <laughs> uh, I mean, I guess Dickens knew that a certain amount of success in this world allows you to have a certain amount of influence in this world. Were you to ever choose to use your amount of success to have influence? Maybe he thought that those who had such success should use their influence for good, and that was part of the point. I don't know. But come on, we don't want that. No. That's charity. That's That's just classicism. That's just, uh, yeah, continuing the system. I I heard this stupid... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> talking about the offended people i still don't know if i was implicated somehow here, but i don't think you were no we'll, you weren't you just we'll, missed we'll, it we'll go back I, to I don't know it's recording. it's christmas who cares right, yeah. <laughs> i love you um i love you too i had a, i had a point okay it, and it had to do with this okay um go ahead because i mean you're right all academics are easily offended and there was this video that one of our teachers made us watch about how all charities are basically just continuing the capitalist system and how no charity should be continued because they were just continuing the capitalist system oh my and so that means you know any christian charity and any and they made this point like it was let's get rid of all the hospitals and all of the orphanages and let's let the state take care of it and that'll be much more benevolent yeah as history has shown And so you see exactly why they then would end up hating a story about Ebenezer Scrooge becoming a reformed person and becoming a philanthropist and giving to charity. Because, I mean, good grief, what they want is that what they would love even more is for the ghosts to show up with um, 
Bernie Sanders memor- uh, uh, Well, they're right in Scrooge's corner. Are there no prisons? Are there no workhouses? Yeah. We just need to reform the prisons and workhouses, guys. Yeah. So. Well, they'd want it for the ghosts to show up to Bob Cratchit's house and be like, here's some dynamite. Go blow up your boss and bring yeah. the revolution. and Or go reform the queen and turn her into Hillary Clinton. Or something. Or something. <laughs> or, or Bernie Sanders. Well, I guess you guys don't agree with that point, huh? No, I think um, it's stupid. <laughs> the ghost of the ghost <laughs> let's talk about the ghost of christmas past why was the ghost of christmas past portrayed so polymorphously with like its body changing you can tell whether it was old or young the movie versions for maybe obvious reasons never really do this but they said at one point that like you couldn't tell how many arms it had it looked like it was kind of flickering and changing and what was the de- what was the symbolism well so you've got the ghost of christmas present the one that you're in right now is robust and real and larger than life you have the ghost of christmas future and he's the shadowy figure that is yet to be and uncertain then the past goes back and is many things and is only in your memory and is somewhat sketchy in that sense but still real and vibrant so it's got a different i feel like you've got like this sort of flickering dark character on one end the flickering bright character on the other end neither of them are the present neither of them are now neither of them are happening in in front of you and that's the only sense i can make of it yeah your past the christmases of my past every year get a little more muddled and a little more it all gets kind of compressed is just a part of this thing that you know formed and shaped me and it's all made up of these very real moments that um, were important but it's all just sort of this one thing and and it's something that's changing in our perception and yeah yeah and something that we might want to smother with a with a dunce cap or whatever <laughs> yes <laughs> i didn't know whether but it was you can't right you can't put it out it's there it's bright but it's also like you're saying, can't be changed in a very Marilyn Robinson tying it all together vibe. Yes. <laughs> it's uncertain. You can't. You you're never quite sure whether or not you're remembering the right past or not. And so there's it's vague and unclear. whereas the present is the only thing that's real and larger than life, that's and right. it's the now and you jolly. Know? And it's really clear that you know the now is what has to be in the forefront of Scrooge's mind. The past is important. What is yet to be can be changed, you know, but it's out there. And what what happens in the now has real consequences, real bearing on that. But the now is what's larger than life, and now is what's at, what has to change. And I think Dickens was just trying to make that really over-the-top clear. Interesting that, and not, not to make a big, you know, psychosexual point about this, but interesting that we have, a, we have two its. We have a female-male kind of creature angel thing as the past, and then we have a shrouded figure, and then we have a he. And we have a robust male kind of a character for the um, yeah, for present. masculine present now. Yes, yes. With the burly, hairy chest, as I remember it. Yeah. <laughs> Flowing beard, (laughs) drinking lots of mead and lots of food. It's interesting, too, that uh, the present and future both are very much seeped in or based on traditions. Christmas present is obviously based on Father Christmas, based on the conceptions of of sort of St. Nicholas-type characters at the time. And then you've got the Grim Reaper. Death is the last one. But then I don't know what exactly, if anything, he was drawing on for that angelic kind of weird multi-gender polymorphous. Angelic is 
Yeah. You know, that is what you have. But not like Botticelli angelic, more kind of creepy, beautiful perhaps, but weird and otherly angelic. Maybe Ezekiel. Yeah, I did, in fact, look up in my search to figure out this out, to explain the Ghost of Christmas Pass. I I looked it up on Wikipedia. It has its own entry. And uh, you guys will be happy to know that the Ghost of Christmas Past, Wikipedia lists it at the top under information. Its species is a spirit. Gender Uh neutral. Ah. Occupation, producer of visions. <laughs> is that right? Yes. If you, ever, if you ever wanted to know. I'm glad Wikipedia sorted that out for With us. The, yeah, thank you, Wikipedia. We appreciated that. Occupation. That's hilarious. Producer of visions. <laughs> Whoever, whatever individual <laughs> in the hive mind that is Wikipedia came yeah. up with that. Yeah, uh, thanks, we tip our We tip our hats. See you. Does it tell us the net worth of... The people need to know. <laughs> Let me break this down, guys. <laughs> what he does is he produces visions. <laughs> kind of his job. <laughs> Technically, he's a spirit. Can't quite call him an angel or ghost. <laughs> There's a difference between ghosts and spirits. <laughs> this is a, what I think of everybody who writes for Wikipedia. <laughs> Somebody in their mom's basement Just realizing who talks like that. It's probably pretty accurate. <laughs> it's sort of hard to talk about this because there are so many obvious things that you feel like go without saying. Like? Like, it feels stupid to say that part of the point is to show Ebenezer had lots of choices. Mm-hmm. And there were things could have turned out very, very differently. And this is meant to make you reflect on the choices that you've made that have made led to things turning out the way they have for you. Well, yeah, I mean, you always, I think some of the most powerful stuff is just the tragedy of him getting to re-experience some of that stuff. I mean, I, again, this is really obvious, I guess. It's the entire point. But, you know, you really, when, when his girlfriend says, an idol has replaced me, a golden one, or whatever, you know, you just feel like, ah, go after her, Ebenezer, why? Her love is gone. <laughs> from the Muppets. Yeah. <laughs> I think maybe this is obvious too, but it wouldn't be obvious to someone writing this today because people are always making these kinds of characters into anti-heroes or giving us an excuse. It's nice that we get just enough to understand, but we don't We don't ever feel like he's excused. You know, I think of that Jim Carrey Grinch movie where it turns out that the Who's Down and Whoville were really mean to the Grinch and yeah. didn't accept yeah. him because he was green or whatever. I don't remember why they didn't like him, but he, so he was a green vulgarian that the Who's Down and Whoville just couldn't stomach, so they drove him out and then he became bitter and became the Grinch. And by the time you get around to it, there's nothing to even redeem about the Grinch. He's just always been a lovable sort of outcast anti-hero. I think a lot of people writing the story today would make Scrooge a victim and he's not a victim. You know, maybe his dad was cruel. Maybe his dad didn't care. Maybe this, maybe that. But, but Diggins isn't absolving him. Yeah. No, yeah, he doesn't absolve him at all. The only absolution that could happen for Scrooge is through penance. Yeah. He's still a man who hates people, hates his employees. He's an awful man. No matter what happened to him. And that's, like you said, that's the point of the Ghost of Christmas Past is he made those choices. Yeah, at every point he could have responded differently to whatever circumstances, you know, could have conspired against. But he didn't. They were the decisions that he made. He could have had a happy life. He could have... And most painful of all, we see... He could have followed Fezziwig. He could have had a beautiful marriage. He could have... Well, that's exactly it. We don't just see the things that made him turn sour. We see all the graces, all the olive branches, all the things that were offered to him. Fezziwig was his chance at redemption. His girlfriend, or whatever her name was, 
So he has this, a little sister that loves him. He has a nephew that loves him. He has he has he has chance after chance after chance, which he throws away. Uh, what struck you guys about the ghost of Christmas Present? Um, I mean, he's large and jolly and happy and masculine, but then there's also sort of solemn pageantry about him as he takes Scrooge on this journey through his present. It's very serious and. He has a purpose to it. Usually they're played that way in the movies, too. Yeah, something like the Muppet. It's just like a guy in a foam rubber suit that's really goofy. But um, but they try to give him some seriousness. Too. Yeah. He usually has a lot of... He's not just Santa Claus. He has a lot of dignity and authority and weight. And, uh, yeah, he's like a king. Yeah. Like a big pagan king, almost. I think the guy in the... Me and Jake were talking about this the other day and watching some clips. The guy in the George C. Scott version uh, as the Ghost of Christmas Past is just fantastic. The way that he plays him. Just um, that little... That touch of wry cynicism. Yeah. Are there no workhouses? He's really like... <laughs> Are there no prisons? He has this big smile on his face as he's... Well, he feels like a guy you wouldn't want to mess with. He feels... He no, reminds me scary. of like... He's scary. He's the scariest one to me, actually. Well, in a good way, though. He reminds me of like father figures or pastors or people that have like confronted me about sin in my life that have just like not given me an inch in a in a... In a good way. Yeah, you get this, like, Scrooge thinks he's a big man, and all of a sudden, here's a real big man. Yeah. You know? He just looks at Ebenezer, oh, you're a big man. Yeah. Uh-huh. Right. Come in and know me better. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And he is jolly, and he is kind, but he's not afraid to say, like, hey, buddy, maybe maybe think about who the actual surplus population <laughs> is. Like, yeah. who actually deserves to if die in this scenario? to die. Yeah. <laughs> So many of my questions are just, like, really obvious questions. Now, the third spirit, guys, is kind of like death. What's, kind, yeah. what's the significance of that? It's like a Nazgul. <laughs> like a Nazgul, <laughs> yes. Well, I think, Nathan, he's uh-huh. meant to take Ebenezer to the place where uh, the Ghost of Christmas present hints at when he says, if these events remain unchanged, I see a, an empty chair at the table and a crutch without an owner carefully preserved which is death actually (laughs) for tim and for ebenezer himself yeah i I think i don't know it's just my that's your gut feeling that's my not not to uh get too esoteric but i'm pretty sure the symbolism is supposed to be the grim reaper what what (laughs) i had never put that together well come on it's (laughs) it's what i'm here for (laughs) (laughs) what would we do without phd Uh, abds that actually kind of makes sense he's got like the black robe right uh, yeah Glowing eyes. Oh, wait, no, that was the one version. <laughs> the Muppet one has. <laughs> or no, Patrick Stewart's the version. Yeah, that's so, we said. That's so eyes. stupid. Yeah, it has glowing, yeah. like, looks we, like two little Christmas. He looks like a Jawa. Yeah, <laughs> he does. Jawa. Look like a, Jawa, a very tall one. <laughs> <laughs> Is it not the droid you're looking for? <laughs> We're going to offend everybody that grew up with Patrick Stewart. One of the things about the movies is... Whichever one you grew up with. Is that's a, the one. That, I you didn't know, know Patrick Stewart played. Yeah, no, he did. Yeah. It is a really dark Christmas story. Have you read it to your kids? or mm-hmm. um, You have? Mm-hmm. How do they no like kidding. it? It's not their favorite thing to have read out loud. We have to go through it slowly. We can't just make it through it in one night. So you, this is like a Christmas tradition for you. Yeah. If I do the right voices, they they, they like it. Can we hear one of your... Like, how does one of your voices... <laughs> Come here and know me better, man! <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Last year, I... Well, we had small group over or whatever. Oh, yeah. We watched the Alistair Sim with the kids, didn't we? Yeah, we, were, we, we had just been talking about it for a while. Yeah. And our small group meets for lunch, but sometimes... 
they hang out pretty late. And so I think this was like after dinner or something like that. So we'd gone through and we ended up busting out, I think, both. Yeah, yeah, we did. Wow. Alistair Sim and George C. Scott. Watched them both. Yeah, I think we might have skipped parts. We skimmed George C. Scott, I think. But I was, you know, I thought, okay, my kids are going to going to love this and then as we went through it was like oh this is going to be really scary to them and it was and i sort of i think that's why we ended up skimming parts is because Mm -hmm. it was i just wasn't the final ghost is very scary i remember being terrified of the george c scott version that i grew up with we'd watch it every christmas i I remember actually come to think of it being being afraid of uh the mickey version actually with the devil or what is it well he he drops him into the grave and it opens up in f- the flames of hell That's you know right. and then he's ghost of christmas future turns out to be uh bluto or whatever right. you know yeah. and is just laughing at him Smoke, doesn't he smoke a cigar and he pulls, the whole time, smokes or? a cigar like he kicks him in you know or whatever yeah i mean dickens this isn't that's not Dickens, but he he had a flair for the theatrical. Mm-hmm. Well, Dickens used to do readings of this one quite a bit, didn't he? I mean, and he loved the theater. He was an actor. Mm-hmm. He, he was, he, I was actually telling Nathan that for the longest time, I had in my head that this was written as a play. I remember reading it in in high school as a play or something like that. Maybe it was an adaptation, or maybe we just sort of played parts because it's so dialogue-y. I yeah. Well, I, I have to admit. In reading this, I I missed the movie because maybe and maybe it's just nostalgia. Maybe it's just I grew up with it. But I, I wanted to hear those George C. Scott actors and George C. Scott himself do it the way they did it. I wanted to hear people bring the words to life. There was a, there was an ingredient for me, and I'm not maybe I'm not I don't know that I'm proud of. I mean I'm not proud of this, but there was an ingredient missing from just reading the story. It felt flat in a way that didn't quite compare to my best memories of the christmas carol which are the movie versions i I feel a little ashamed to admit it but the movie versions are kind of my preferred versions of this story maybe just because i grew up with them and they have a lot of nostalgia but um but i just as i read the story i just thought i want somebody to at the very least be reading this out loud it seems to be made to be and i want somebody to do the voices i want somebody to give the characters bring it to life i want to hear a radio adaptation or something maybe i should maybe that's actually how i should have done it but let's talk about tiny tim everybody's favorite character yes tiny tim (laughs) he makes the whole thing work (laughs) he is the key how did you guys like that uh that tiny tim i think i summarized how i feel about tiny tim in my contextual stuff he fits exactly into this over sentimentalized child vision so he is little Nell. He is um, chimney sweep Joe. I think that is right. That that puts it in the in context and it helps you understand at least what Dickens thought he was doing. Well, there is. I will say, just personally, I'll, I'll give my personal reaction to Tiny Tim. Uh, first of all, almost any movie version of Tiny Tim, I just want to like shove him down a manhole. I can't stand him. He's really annoying. Um, <laughs> I want Industrial Britain to build some manholes so I can kick him. You know, when he, you know, God bless us, everyone. You know, I mean, it's just like, come on. But there is one part that gets to me that I find very moving and relatable, and that is Bob coming back and telling his wife about going to church with Tiny Tim and Tiny Tim saying, wouldn't it be nice for the people to see him with the crutch? And uh, I think 
who made the cripples walk. I don't know why that part gets to me and the other parts usually annoy me, but it, it feels real. Like I've known kids that... You know, because that's something a kid would actually say. Yeah. It's, it's real. Really, it's really not sweet. the angelic. A kid might actually have that thought. I right. can see... I can imagine one of my own kids in a similar situation having that kind of thought. And when you can put a face to it and see it, it strikes home in a way that's that's real and not pure sentiment. Yeah. And there is a purity and an innocence that comes with child. Yes, kids are original sinners, listeners. We all have a sin nature and kids aren't perfect. And Dickens goes way over the top with making Tiny Tim into, you know, thy essence was of God, Tiny Tim. That just, you want to kind of reach through the page and slap Dickens there. But Jesus does say, let the little children come to me. And you see, I mean, we saw it in Dracula. It's the Victorian sensibility. Yeah, what's the deal with that? Why were the Victorians so darn sentimental about everything? What, what's Yeah, particularly the angelic purity of certain people. You have like that whole pre-Raphaelite group of painters where it's just like rosy-cheeked women in like boats with flowers around them and like knights in shining armor. And it's just like so... Because they were a very strange people. Here you've got an industrial revolution that... Dickens himself portrays as a smoggy hellhole. So on the one hand, you think of Jack the Ripper and syphilis and smog and... And you see that sort of stuff in Dickens. Right, and devastation. But then on the other hand, you have... I mean, maybe it's... Because you have to compensate for the things that you're destroying. You sentimentalize the things that you eat up and that you destroy, and that's what we were doing. Yeah, The Industrial Revolution, and we were at the very beginnings of eating up our women and children. And you have to pretend that everything else is perfect, too. And so you idealize them, and they become angels. Yeah, so you know that it wasn't that perfect anywhere. You These little country villages, like in a lot of these Dickens novels, it, oh, it's kind of like what happens in some American novels where you go to the quiet little village, and it's happy, and nothing's wrong. And you know that's not the way it was, but it's the way they wanted to see the world. Mm-hmm. They wanted to see the world like we saw in Dracula with these women who are just absolutely angelic and these children who are so angelic. It, yeah, it's it's part of the time period. You see it in, um, oh, what's one of the more famous examples? Um, in Uncle Tom's Cabin mm-hmm. with, what's his name, Augustine, his Augustine, his daughter, right? She's perfect and then she dies. It was a way to cheaply show the death of innocence and so then Dickens just was over the top with it. And so you he called a character Tiny Tim, of all things. Mm. And then <laughs> Tiny Tim is on crutches because of even of more all things. Is. Yeah, and then he's the perfect child of even more all things. And then he dies. But then he doesn't die because Scrooge saves him. And then his dad goes up to weep over his body. And the author actually breaks the fourth wall to say, Tiny Tim, thy essence was of God. And he does that all the time. Like I was saying with that chimney sweep right. Joe. And yeah. he starts quoting the Lord's Prayer. It's weird, and you want to slap Dickens, but you know that the same thing that gave him his strength, which is a phenomenal storyteller, is why he was so weak here, because he wants to affect his reader. Yeah, that's interesting. I like the theory of industri- the Industrial Revolution and those times eating up women and children and therefore people having to slather on the sentiment. Because really, if you think about it, that's 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 exactly what we do today with the sexual revolution eating up women and children and men. And so you have people like Maya Angelou and uh, Rupi Carr and all these crappy feminist poets that posterity, I guarantee you, I'm going to go out on a limb and say that posterity will, will hate these people and make fun of them. But 
people are willing to indulge in the most mawkish sentimentality about feminism and empowerment and all this kind of stuff because they're whitewashing something that's or about babies and children because we kill them all because we kill yeah. them all that's that makes sense to me that where there's mawkish sentimentality where there's lots of overpowering perfume there's probably because there's a horrible stench where there's the hallmark channel that is going to be oppressing us it's oppressing us right now in the christmas season with family reunions it's because we've destroyed our families with divorce and adultery and you know it's just the way it is every hallmark channel story that's playing right now is somebody's been estranged from the family and you know, they come home and show up at the last minute and everything is great altogether. And what it does is it lets dad or mom or whoever is actually responsible for the brokenness of their family put it on their kid for being ungrateful. You know, it's just another way to process your guilt. I, we need the Debbie Downer sound effect. Yeah. <laughs> I guess finally on the subject of sentimentality, obviously it's not bad for, if there's one thing we have, we appreciate authors that move us. We appreciate, you know, we're not above being moved or feeling emotions. Goodness, the that's the point. Yeah. But the point is to be moved by right and true things as much as it's possible. And to feel the right things about the right things. Well, there's nothing wrong with feeling sad about a crippled little boy dying. So no. what what is it that we are reacting against? Why do people want to kick Tiny Tim's crutch out from underneath him? And, and, and what is perhaps right about that instinct? Why do we feel Dickens manipulating us and want to kind of say, yeah, stop it? We don't have a problem with Scrooge being way over the top evil. But we do have a problem with, Dick and, with Tiny Tim being made of God's essence. So what's... What is bad about that? Or is it? Maybe I'm not going to answer your question here, but I'm, I'm going to take a stab at solving the problem. Um, when we talked through Dracula and we talked about Mina, we talked about how much easier it is for us to see and conceive of evil because we see and know our own evil. But seeing real virtue and then modeling it and displaying it, seeing it, portraying it in fiction is much more difficult. I think some of that, is going on. So in one sense, there's just always going to be probably more failed attempts to show good. I think so. Than there is to it's show just evil, real it's just a lot easy harder. to show evil because we understand that. That's who we are. But I would say short of being a Christian, short of modeling your virtuous heroes on the virtuous heroes of Scripture who are flawed deeply outside of Jesus, you're just not going to get a real and satisfying picture of righteousness and innocence. And so that's that's already difficult enough in itself. So then whatever Dickens is going to put forward is just going to ring shallow or false. I'm not sure why it why that makes us react the way it does. And I'm not sure it's all right of us to react that way either. Yeah, I, think. I mean, I think we're awfully cynical. It's interesting to note that, like, Thackeray loved Tiny Tim. Dickens got thousands of letters from people saying, Tiny Tim changed my life. People loved him. <laughs> there were there were critics. There were cynics at the time. It's not to say that everybody just thought Tiny Tim was great, but a lot of people did. Um, there is perhaps something wrong in the fact that we don't like Tiny Tim. I don't think we have to embrace him as wonderful or anything, but there's perhaps something a little twisted and cynical and ironic about uh, post-21st century man that we just want to be disgusted at the very idea that Something could be so good. Something could be so good because yeah. we just don't believe in anything. We can good. believe that something can be good like Arnold Schwarzenegger good. Right, like <laughs> Bruce Willis good, but not good that way. 
But then there is a little bit of the like precious moments poison to it, where it's so sickly. It's Thomas Kincaid is what yeah. I always think of. It's so sickly sweet that it's no longer good. It's just a lie about what is good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's almost worse than a lie about what's bad. I think if you if you tried to come at Tiny Tim as uncynically as possible, what you can see is childhood innocence that is purified further through suffering. I think it is possible to have a kid that's just really a real sweetheart. Oh, sure. Just right. this last week at our church, we had a a man visit who has a very powerful story of uh, his child dying of a brain tumor, I think. I don't remember how old she was, but not old. I think I want to say under 10. And um, he talks in very Dickensian terms and very moving terms of, you know, the godliness and, you don't want and the to, sanctification. you don't want to discount that. Yeah, you, no, you, you don't know, want to the, say, oh, you The fact just... is people die when they're, when they're ready to meet the Lord. And sometimes God fits children to meet him yeah. very young. What you, when you take that sort of childlikeness and place suffering there, you can get something really beautiful. Yeah, I mean, I would almost perhaps, I don't know where I come down on this issue exactly, but my problem with Tiny Tim isn't perhaps a moral one. It's just an artistic problem of that Dickens didn't quite solve, you know, of making this character plausible. It's just That's artless. Right. That's the only problem with Tiny Tim is not that, not that it's wrong to have a good child or an innocent dying person in your story, but you should do it more artfully and you should yeah. make it remind people more of real life. If you read child. if you read what people say about I you know I've I've spent a fair amount of time as a pastor at Riley up in Indy but it's mostly with very very small children but if you see or talk to anybody up there who's say spent time in the cancer ward of the children's hospitals you'll get very tiny timish pictures and I some of that may be wishful thinking but I don't think I don't think all of it is I th- maybe it's a matter of something when something's that inherently powerful i think part of the artistry is to not just not to rub it in people's noses when you suddenly start talking like shakespeare and using tiny tim thy essence was of god for dickens to do that it's like it's not necessary it's sad enough a nice little boy that loved his family is dying we don't need you to rub our nose in it we don't need you to rub our nose in it give us us some space to actually i think i think i'm with you there I think it's in the artlessness that Dickens fails. Yeah. It's not necessarily that. I think you're right about our cynicism as postmodern men who don't want to feel well. When the goodness it, then this when way. Dickens is artless about it, it gives us an excuse to not actually deal with the character. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. It's we can just be like, oh, gross. That's and a family. Like, Dickens feel, he shouldn't uh, have given us that excuse. Yeah, the best version. Tiny Tim is there doing exactly what Dickens wanted him to do, which is to show in the starkest terms possible what happens when... A man like Scrooge is unfeeling. A man like Scrooge is unfeeling. The innocent are corrupted and suffer. And he wants you to feel the brokenness of the world and the weight of your sin of greed. And he wants you to feel you're part of the problem and innocent suffer. And they don't have to, and uh, and I do think he he falls short there. That he had a powerful idea that just wasn't wasn't realized for us. But then Nathan says at at the time everybody thought Tim was the greatest. So maybe he struck the right note for Victorian yeah. England, you know. Yeah. And it just you know we're. But I 
think Shakespeare would have done it better. I think he would have too. And I think he failed consistently in this area. It's almost one of those things where it feels like you feel a little insulted as a reader. It's, it's an insult to your intelligence. It's like, or to your emotional intelligence, even it's like, don't Dickens, don't you think that I'm smart enough to, to get that this is sad? Like you, you didn't have to like paint me a yeah. Thomas Kincaid painting here. I, what I got was, it. what was, did he actually love real children? I don't know. Or did he just pretend to in his books? His, yeah. He had a whole brood of them yeah, with his wife who he didn't love. I know. Um, you get the sense that their home wasn't happy. His his older sister died, I think, I want to say when she was 14 or something like that. And that was powerfully affecting to him. And people always say that his death scenes, like like Tiny Tim, or like, are, hers. Are, are her death. So, yeah, he did feel it. And uh, maybe it was... The fact that he felt it that kept him from doing a better job. <laughs> yeah. Who knows? Um, Maybe because he was he was feeling it all over again as a child, and so he couldn't put away his crayons. Mm-hmm. Exactly, like Fox Mulder. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that's <laughs> a, a great reference. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, final question: uh, As a Christian, is there anything that we should not embrace in the moral of this story? I've heard people say, "Well, Scrooge reprints to." to Marley and to the ghosts and says the ghosts of Christmas will strive within him. He should say that Jesus should strive with him. So <laughs> yeah, I guess it's not a very good Christmas story. And also it's uh, it's an inaccurate portrayal of the afterlife. Yes, indeed. <laughs> um, I've heard that. Yes, I've read that. I guess you can tell what my opinion is from the way I'm loading the question up here. I mean, but, I'd uh, say the only <laughs> danger or the only thing you should reject is maybe this precious moment's angel wing sentimentality of the tiny tim story but then also take what's good from it and there's a lot of good christmas spirit uh good christmas cheer to take from this story uh, forget the details and take some mirth home with you yes and uh some free-spiritedness some yeah. liberality and realize that yeah you're right curmudgeon the real christmas story is way better but uh apply the liberality of the uh, of the real christmas story gently to your own forehead and yeah. shut up about this book <laughs> yes god bless us everyone including tiny tim <laughs> we can learn to forgive tiny tim and accept him and forgive dickens for his bad artistry with tiny tim it's just accept him in all his mawkishness yeah yeah well i just think it's silly i, I think christians that say that are silly i i, I think I, I always want to ask them what do you do with jesus's parables the, the the prodigal son goes home. He doesn't repent to Jesus. He repents to his dad. You got a problem with that, idiot? <laughs> <laughs> no, you don't. You shouldn't have a problem with Dickens. He was telling a story. It's, it's not supposed to be a literal reading of the afterlife or of anything else. It's a story about a grumpy old man visited by the Grim Reaper. And There's a reason it. that every Kurt Cameron movie is really bad. Yes. <laughs> maybe it was all dreams anyway. Yeah, maybe it was all dreams anyway. So you guys have all seen your share of uh, Christmas Carol adaptations, movies. What do you recommend to people? What's the best? What's the worst? What stands out to you about the movies in, uh, uh, compared to the book? Talk. Well, I, I would say that I grew up most with Mickey and George C. Scott. But then Alistair Sim was a sort of sentimental favorite of my dad's because that's what he grew up with. So we'd watch that too. So there are things that I love about all three of those. Um, and I always just have this sort of secret jealousy of everybody that I got to watch the Muppet one all the time because I only got to watch it a couple times. 
Yeah, we watched the Muppet one all the time. But, I, uh, I didn't grow up with Mickey, though. My parents yeah, really weren't we into Mickey. We didn't grow up with that I liked Mickey, okay. When the I Ghost of Christmas Present is, a, is the big, bumbling giant who... Oh, like the Jack and the Beanstalk giant? Yeah, that, that oh, yeah. one. That makes sense. See, I didn't see the Mickey one until I was too old for it, and it was kind of it was sad because by the time I saw it, it just didn't do anything for me. But I think uh-huh. if I, I would have seen it in time, I think if if anyone here, out there has not seen the George C. Scott version, it might just be nostalgia. But I think that version's really, really fantastic. Have you seen that version? No. Oh, you should. I mean, I think I think all the well, what it what it gives you is a uh, is a really dry Scrooge. And that's pretty cool. And it gives you a really fantastic Ghost of Christmas present that's unrivaled by anything I've seen. It's the scariest version that I've seen, the darkest, dankest kind of version that I can think of. Um, I'm sure there are darker, danker ones out there. But there's this great sort of, what's the word I want? There's there's a lot of great like kind of Shakespearean actors hamming it up. Marley basically shouts all, plays all his lines to the rafters, and it's fun. Mankind was my business. The comprehensive ocean of my business. <laughs> Human welfare was my business. <laughs> the, no, but uh, Scrooge's nephew is great in that version. His, his niece-in-law is great in that version. Uh, They're Fred, both really yeah, sweet. Fred's great. Fred has that great And his speech. wife is really sweet. No. Yeah. I have always thought, Uncle, and his... Uh, wonderful i'm gonna be loaning it to brandon so he can experience it i know a lot of people grew up with patrick stewart that one doesn't really do it for me yeah the generation i've only seen the the scenes that we you know just sort of tried to sneak a peek at the other day and i wasn't like oh man i gotta watch that version of it but again i i do think that what you grew up with is just gonna imprint itself on you i do like the alistair sim version i I like mo- what I like most about it is the uh, redemption scene at the end where he's just really sells the giddy transformation and he scares the housekeeper and he everything. scares her and <laughs> I must stand on my head you know and he stands, tries to stand on his head and chases the housekeeper down the stairs and he thought, thinks he's lost his mind mm-hmm. <laughs> and he does the thing with his hair I haven't I'm not crazy and then he says even if I look at it and he Flips his hair up yeah, and he yeah. gets a big kick out of it. All those little details I thought were really, I still think are really, really great. Um, and I, George C. Scott was never going to pull off that kind of a redemption scene. And he didn't have to. He had a he had a good redemption scene for the character he was playing. Yeah. But uh, they all have nice moments, though. Patrick Stewart goes into a church and can't, for the life of him, sing along with the with the lyrics, and someone has to kind of, you know, hand him a hymnal or whatever, and that's a nice little moment. I like the ways that the movie version it's it's fun in the same. It reminds me a lot of Shakespeare in that it's fun to see different versions and see, you know, once more under the breach, and then once more under the breach, and just see different people do those iconic lines and see what little twists yeah. they bring to it. Are fun. I don't have anything profound to say about that, but you just grew up with the Muppets. We grew up with the Muppets. Michael Caine. Michael Caine. There's more gravy than a grave yeah. about you. There's more, <laughs> more gravy than grave about you. We're Marley and Marley. We're avarice and greed. <laughs> Muppets are awesome. Ah, those Muppets are fun. They're funny. <laughs> Anything else anybody want to say about the movie version? I feel I feel like we could probably ha- have a whole episode just comparing characters, right? Who had uh, the best this and the best the best that. Scrooge or the best Scrooge in this or the best Bob Marley and the best or Bob Marley? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs>
Today's episode was brought to you <laughs> by the letter C, <laughs> the letter C for Christmas. <laughs> Why did I say that? Anyway, my, na- my name is Nathan. I wrote and produced this episode, asked the questions that the fellas answered. The fellas that answered those questions were Jacob Menzel, the pastor who's a master of reading, and Brandon Chastain, a fine fellow indeed. And we want to thank you for joining us today. The Booking is a product of Warhorn Media. You can find us at warhornmedia.com. You can find us on Instagram and, and uh, Facebook and Twitter as Warhorn Media. And a Merry Christmas to all our listeners and to all a good night. A good night. Good night.